She is a very senior buyer. She gave up an hour of her time to be in the room. She walked in there and the first thing the sales rep did was like, so why did you buy, insert company name here. And she was just like, are you kidding? Like, this is what you want to use your hour with me for to recap why I bought a year ago? Like, that's wild. And so I think that actually brings me to my overall sentiment, which is like, you have to meet the buyer where they are. Welcome to Hidden in Plain Sight, the enterprise revenue intelligence podcast for revenue leaders in, yes, sales, marketing, and customer success. Because we all share the same goal, revenue growth. Always more, always faster. We learn how to drive revenue as we examine real-life insights from multiple angles with human flavor since people buy from people. I am your host, Mariana Kogan, CMO and winner of the Forrester Marketing Program of the Year, and I will be joined by Art Harding, Season Revenue Leader. Hey, Liz. Thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Great to be speaking with you again. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Excited to jump on here. I'm doing great. So I want to introduce Liz Christo, formerly known as Liz Kane, if I have that correctly, to our Hidden in Plain Sight. You got it. You know, I'll allow Liz to tell us a little bit about her background. I've had the pleasure of getting to observe and study Liz's work both as a fan of operations and go-to-market strategy, et cetera, but also now as a partner at Stage 2 Capital with Liz, where I've gotten to see her work up close. But Liz, I know your background goes back not just in the VC and investment and advising community, but all the way back into operations. Do you want to call out a couple of things from your background that you think are particularly relevant for go-to-market strategy and execution? Yeah, absolutely. So I started my career working for a really early-stage startup. I ended up getting acquired into NetSuite back in 2008, where I sold... ERP to CFOs for about eight years, working across a bunch of different areas of go-to-market, sales operations, account management, selling into the install base, and then moved to the top of the funnel, BDR, lead gen side of things. We were transacting globally, uh, had teams in six countries, and worked across every vertical and industry, all deal sizes, really like killer education and go-to-market as I reflect on it now. And then, yeah, spent my last six years on the venture side, both at OpenView Venture Partners and now Stage 2 Capital, where we really focus on go-to-market and building really healthy foundations of go-to-market from the early days of a company. So you don't fast forward to your you know, C or D round and look back thinking like, what actually happened here and what did we build? Um, we really want to get those leading indicators and the right model for scaling in place from day one. Excellent. And I know this is part of what not only you and I have in common in chopping at stage two, which it is a very interesting life cycle to go from contributor in the go-to-market planning strategy and execution all the way to an observer and investor and, and fan, which brings us to this, the topic we're going to talk about today is we've all been watching the digital transformation and modernization of sales and marketing and services over the last few years. And one of the more specific stats that people love to throw out is the quantity of buyers and the appetite they have for engaging with us digitally versus if we even go back pre-COVID, that painful in-person sales meeting. So first of all, before we start unpacking that first statistic, why do you think we're seeing digital interactions for buyers, 60 plus percent of buyers wanting digital interactions from us or preferring those versus in-person? 
Let's just start there. One, is that what you're hearing out there? And two, what do you think is contributing to that? Well, let's start with this. Who knows what the percent is, but I think we can all agree we're seeing and feeling that shift towards digital and more research being done before we get to someone. I mean, I think there's a couple of things to attribute it to. The first I think of is just actually like the age tenure experience level of the average buyer now is starting to shift to the next generation who has grown up on digital products. And I was in it to like Starbucks. You used to walk in and order a coffee. Now the vast majority of people are ordering something on their phone and walking through and grabbing it and not having to interact in any way. You downloaded an app, you started using it. No one taught you how to use that. We've just gotten used to all of our interactions with the world being almost automated and the human removed from it. So I think as that becomes our norm in our personal lives, and we have this really easy, anything you need at your fingertips and any information you need available to you, we start to bring that to work too. And so I think we've seen this rise of product-led growth and this I mean, almost ubiquitous, like self-serve, freemium, free trial play happening. And so when we then get to like complex software, and I think any complex sales process, we want to bring as a buyer, a lot of those same things with us to that interaction. We want to come armed. We want to have done our research. And so I do think a lot of that is shifting online and digital, where by the time I actually meet with a salesperson now, I know that I have a pain. I've done a bunch of research. I may have even talked to some of their competitors. I've read whatever I can online. I've asked my peer group. I'm coming in like way more prepared than I probably was a decade ago. It looks different. Yeah, I think that trend of our consumer habits making their way into the enterprise and the generational decision-making criteria, one of the most interesting tidbits I heard recently is we're moving from the relay race of selling and buying to the adventure race, meaning you're going to be moving as a group. You're no longer handing a baton off through a buyer or customer journey. You actually have to sell and compete as a contiguous group. And the buyer has to buy and adopt this way. So to your point, as we're getting more networked, as we're getting more informed, it's increasing the burden that we buy and sell as a group or as a collective. So what does this mean for sellers? So I'm at a large enterprise organization. I'm not at a small PLG new company. And I keep hearing my customers want to interact with, with me digitally. What does that mean for me as a major account manager calling on named enterprise accounts? I saw something online the other day that just like really resonated with me. So I'm going to start at the, as the customer end before the buyer journey, we can come back to it. But somebody was writing about the QBR experience and it just like landed so well for me. She was saying how she is a very senior buyer. She gave up an hour of her time to be in the room. She walked in there and the first thing the sales rep did was like, so why did you buy? Insert company name here. And she was just like, are you kidding? Like, this is what you want to use your hour with me for to recap why I bought a year ago? Like, that's wild. And so I think that actually brings me to my overall sentiment, which is like, you have to meet the buyer where they are. So you as a seller have all this information at your fingertips as well. So while the buyer is coming to you, having done a ton of research and be prepared, you need to show up. You need to have done your homework. You need to know if they've interacted with your website, if your marketing team has been reaching out to them, if they've attended a webinar or event. You want to know what they're currently using. You want to actually read the notes that came from your BDR so that your knowledge transfer is clean. And when you get on the phone, you show up for them. You actually can meet them where they are in their buying process. And I think... I mean, there's plenty of reasons why people don't do that today. But I think more and more that information is available and at our disposal and we need to actually use it. Yeah, I won't try to recall which Marvel character in the the Marvel series, but I remember some phrase about from great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) 
I think what I just heard in your answer is while these digital capabilities for those of us sell may actually feel like they're here to help us or make our lives better, there's actually a hidden burden in this privilege or this power that we've been getting, which is we have to show up and meet the buyer where they are because they're now expecting more from us because they intuitively know we should have these capabilities on the other side of the wire where it was very logical 20 years ago for me to do disco calls where I had to ask basic one-on-one questions because the proliferation and availability of information was not worth. If I show up like that today, I'm essentially telling someone I was too lazy to be curious enough about your business to do my prep and then put the proactive thought into what to do next about it. Is that kind of what I picked out of it? Yeah, it almost feels like you're wasting my time when you do that. Like you want, you get less time in person and less time live, and you really need to make the most of it. I think that sentiment is probably consistent whether you're in your first intro call or a QBR having been a customer for years. Like time is precious and we should be using it way more effectively than we often are. Love it. I think meeting the buyer where they're at, where they're at and understanding that while these capabilities help us compete differently and be more effectively, that if we really look at it as a huge responsibility to show up and deliver on this awesome power that we've been given in this generation of selling and marketing, I think that's a great mindset. So as we talk about these digital interactions, and as someone who advises and operating also assesses as an investor, are there a set of minimum must-haves to run a modern data-driven go-to-market org today out of the CRM. We know you need a CRM, but there are other capabilities that you just take as table stakes today if you want to be a digitally driven company. It's funny. I feel like we could talk about the tech stack here of how to do it, but I actually think the more important part comes back to the team and people. And to me, it's like understanding really what the buyer's journey looks like and how your sales process maps to it. Because then you can slot your team in. And it comes down to that alignment and preparedness we were just talking about. Do you have the right information leading into an SDR getting on the phone for the first time? Are you doing a really strong knowledge transfer and the handoff to the AE? As you sell a client and begin their implementation, how do you get that information to CS? And what that information and data is, I think we can dig into more, right? There are all kinds of different signals and pieces of data that we could gather. But ultimately, that workflow relies on the people and the processes and systems that are designed to enable them to actually show up ready for each of those interactions. I look for and think way more about that when I think about minimum must-haves. It's not hey, what does the tech stack look like necessarily? It's like, do we even have the infrastructure to be able to use the information we're gathering? And I'm sure that there's a lot more that I could jump into there, but that's my like initial thought on that. So I, I love the answer. And this will probably, for those consuming this, knowing that we're a vendor that sells technology into go-to-market teams may get them scratching their heads. But I, I couldn't agree with you more that I don't want to say that technology doesn't matter. But what I will say is the technology investments that you make and go to market are amplifiers and accelerators. They are not creators, meaning they're essentially going to be mirrors and amplify the people and the process and the mindset and awareness of your business. And they're going to help you do more of it faster at greater scale. That's what technology helps us do. It's not going to do it for us. I use a lot of financial health and health and fitness analogies when I'm talking to go to market leaders. I find myself regularly saying, I'm just observing. You've bought that. Ab Ripper, the Shake Weight, uh, the Chuck Norris Home Gym. Maybe, maybe in addition to the tool, we have to look at the people, the process, and the kids, which, as you know, is very difficult. And then 
I would wrap with another best practice I've seen from operators is we deliver capabilities to the business, not tools and technology. So as we're rolling out lead routing or rolling out account-based ABM marketing, if we're rolling out account plan, we're rolling a capability out that happens to be fulfilled by a tool. So we're not naming initiatives and projects after tools as much as we are a capability. So I, I love the idea that the MVP is not actually a specific piece of tech in 2022. It's does your team have the mindset and the commitment to leveraging this tech the way that it can? Yeah. And I'm glad you said it that way because I don't like to be clear. I love technology. I invest in it. I use it. I want people to build the right tech stack. But yeah, I do think it comes back to that the how and the people behind it. And it's interesting. I think I obviously am investing in a pretty early stage seed and A rounds. And often like these pieces aren't in place. So we're looking at like the DNA of the leaders to understand if they can actually do this and if they're bought into it, which is a totally different ballgame. Yeah, it's a different problem than after they bought into it and then you have the scaling challenge, right? Which a lot of they got here. So that moves us. You mentioned you're investing in when you look at a company, and, and maybe what we can do is I know you spend a lot of time in the early stage uh, evaluation, but let's say as you see some of your more successful investments matriculating into their next stage of growth, and you're optimistic and rooting them on, as you look at them as an investor, what are you all looking for as companies get ready to scale in terms of that they've got that go to market readiness to start pouring more fuel? on the fire to scale. Yeah. So I guess there's a couple of things. I'll try to be organized as I say this. I think first, we spend a lot of time thinking about leading indicators, both of retention and making sure we're going after the right customer profile and that those customers are growing and performing with us. And then two, the leading indicators of unit economics. And so rather than waiting to look at revenue and how customers grew over time, or if we hit our quarterly number... We're looking at the leads, the opportunities being created, their conversion rate, the performance at a per rep level to actually help us inform whether it's time to scale. So if we have 10 sellers or 20 sellers, it doesn't matter. And people are consistently converting leads through opportunities through to customer. And we feel like we have more leads that we can handle at the top of the funnel. Awesome. Hire more people. On the other hand, you've got five or 10 sellers, none of whom are hitting quota. No one is at capacity. Adding five more bodies doesn't help you hit the number. And so I think those leading indicators are actually the first thing we start with. The second piece I go to is more around, I think I'm going to say automation, but I guess what I look for is like, what are the opportunities to deleverage some of the harder parts of the process? And so I think that actually comes back to some of the process, like the process and the tech stack stuff we were just talking about. Great sellers are doing what we just described already. They're going in, they're finding the information, they're building relationships across the organization, they're going to product and they're digging in, they're understanding what somebody's doing in the product before they get on the phone. How do we then make that information like readily available to our entire team and packaged in a way that's actually actionable? Which gets to my last piece, which is like the playbook or plays you're actually running. I think you can learn from your early sellers. You can learn what's working. But what I want to eventually see as you start to scale is what are the plays that are repeatable over time? And that can happen at any point in the buyer journey. That can be triggers that actually indicate that somebody is like ready to buy or starting to kick off a project. It can be activities within the software that show you that a user is engaging or that they are not, and you need to help them actually like reactivate or bring new team members in. Lots of different places we can go there. But I think that like surfacing of actionable insights to allow plays to actually be run and prioritized is sort of the final piece. 
I was hanging on every word because this is what I do every day. So I was tracking what I agree with you. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for your time, Liz, and, and wrap up what I think you've helped us uncover what's hidden in plain sight today around this 60 plus percent of buyers interacting with us digitally in their journey, which is what is hidden in plain sight is as sellers, we can view that as either a challenge, an obstacle, et cetera. But what I really heard you frame up is this is an opportunity for all of us to get better, to realize that the standards of our buyers is raising. So we have to meet them where they're at. Number two, this isn't about the tech. The tech stack is simply a force multiplier of our team, our processes, and our knowledge and orientation of the buyer and customer journey so that we can identify leading indicators. We have the visibility we need cross-functionally. I think cross-functional leading indicators is also something that's becoming more and more prevalent for more sophisticated organizations. And then last, do you have that actionable playbook, right? So yes, more of our interactions are becoming digital. It actually doesn't make our jobs easier. It's actually raised the bar. Our buyer's expectations are increasing. We got to work and sell more as an adventure team versus a relay race. And puts more pressure on those in-person interactions to just be spectacular. Absolutely. So great. Well, thanks, Liz. Best wishes. I'm sure I'll see you soon here in uh, San Francisco at the next event that we have. And thanks for sharing your morning with us. That's great. Thank you. Hidden in Plain Sight, the Enterprise Revenue Intelligence Podcast is brought to you by PeopleEye. Make sure to search for Hidden in Plain Sight in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at PeopleAI, thanks a lot for listening.